0: Well, we might tremble on the rock, but uh, the rock never trembles under us. Thank God for that. Well, uh, I figured out what I was forgetting a while ago I needed to mention in regards to the uh, men's retreat on Saturday. First responders are free, so you can get a good meal brisket uh, if you're a first responder. And like I said, the uh, the fee is $10 to help pay for the catered meal, but if you don't have it, it'll be taken care of, so just let us know. My family and I moved to Tennessee in 1975, and so that's been a good spell ago. And uh, during during the time there, and uh, when I say the time there, uh, I also include the time that I pastored up in the Cincinnati area because... We maintained contact with uh, most of those folks, and uh, but I made uh, a lot of lifelong friends. A lot of them, Brother Eugene and I were just talking a while ago uh, about a lot of them that's already gone to heaven, and uh, but they were dear friends. Granville Courtney, in fact, was a dear friend, and and I just learned that he had married uh, Eugene and his wife, and. uh, I didn't know that, but but over the years you lose track of people some way or another. And uh, I, Paul and I, his brother, had kept in contact, but uh, I didn't know where Eugene had gone, and I'd forgot about the fact I'd preached up in Elgin, Illinois. But uh, I totally forgot about the fact that he had been there as pastor. So when he come in, he said, "Why didn't you tell me?" You know, the blacks were members here, and uh, Earl and Beverly, whenever they moved away in Elgin, Illinois, and Brother Eugene McWhorter was their pastor there. So it's a small world after all, but we are so delighted to have him here tonight, and I'm not going to take any more of his time. I see he has some literature here, some, uh, well, he, he'll tell you about it, and there'll be some out there that'll help you to know better how to pray for them. Brother Eugene, you come, brother, and we're just glad to have you here tonight.
1: Amen. I appreciate Brother Stone giving us an invitation to come. He was one of the first ones I thought of when I knew I was coming to Texas. Was Brother Stone? Brother David Stone has been an honored name. Uh, in our household for almost as long as I can remember. (laughs) I don't mean to make him feel old, but uh, as long as I can (laughs) remember, 50 years in the ministry, 50 years. Wow, what an accomplishment. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I honor that, and you honor that, I'm sure. 50 years in the ministry. I was still playing cowboys and Indians when he started preaching. I had hair and plenty of it. Used to have a lot of hair. I used to have a lot of hair. I did. he He's a very wise man because uh, he didn't have me this morning. Uh, you remember the Johnny Cash song, when Johnny Cash uh, uh, sung the song about uh, the shoeshine man, you know, had to get that rag and... I do that on in Sunday mornings. (laughs) You know, I put the oil on and get rhythm. You know, so he's a wise man. First time I went out to one of these large uh, sanctuaries, they had the studio lights. That you know, I, I would read my texts and. You know, I would do this and read my texts, and people. I thought, man, these people are holy. Every time I read my text, I thought, man, these are righteous people. Then I noticed they were—they weren't as righteous and holy as I thought. I really thought they were cool. I thought, man, these are cool people. They all had on dark shades, you know. Oh, man, these people are cool. You know, I'm from the 60s, 70s. And I thought, man, these people are cool. Then I noticed when the pastor got up, he had a full head of hair. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If they got on shades, it's transition lens. So, you know. But I got used to it. I realized what most people were thinking. If they could get rid of this and this, what a bowling ball this would make. Amen. I've got about ten more minutes of those, so, you know, if y'all want me to quit, I'll quit any time. Better laugh at me than anyone else. I got used to it. I, I looked in the mirror one day. It was all leaving. I, so I got the razor, and I said, now what you got to throw at me? And I found out what they had to throw at me. But uh, I don't mind. I looked at Paul the other day when I got down here. Paul's Paul's like your pastor. He's turning all white. If I had hair, I would like it to be like that. I really would. I, I think that's beautiful. I, I'm not making a joke. I think that's beautiful, Pastor. That's <laughs> better than the one sitting behind you. He, he's like me. <laughs> I'd like for it to be like that. I was looking at Paul, and he's turned all white. And I I looked at him, seriously. I looked, and I said, Paul, man, you all white. I said, we got perfect heads. Shave it. He said, not on your life. He said, look at you. (laughs) But I have a good time anywhere I go. I think people ought to laugh. It's good for you. I was in Walmart today, no joke, just down the road here. I was in Walmart. God bless Texas and God bless Walmart. Amen. What would we do without it? I despise Walmart. I really do. I try not to go there, but I was in Walmart and I was walking along and I know it was a preacher. I know it was. This man, his wife was walking along. She was smiling. He was. Grumpiest looking man I ever seen. I know it had to have been a preacher. <laughs> right? Had <laughs> to be it. I started to say, brother, you are a preacher, aren't you? I could tell by the look. I wasn't going to tell him why. He was you know. I you can tell a preacher, you can spot him. You know, I think it's good to laugh, I think it's good to smile, I I think it's good for your I think it's just good for you, amen to just smile every now and then good to see the blacks she come up to me and she said you remember us i'm not going to tell you what i thought (laughs) i will i thought lady i i've never been here i don't know nobody (laughs) and then i seen him and she said the blacks oh my goodness and my my i was so just floored i I wouldn't have thought of them for a nickel, but I I was really just amazed. And then it it began to dawn on me who they were. And my, 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 I was so tickled uh, to see them. And uh, do men men try to come Saturday? Not because it's me. I'm going to be speaking on men how not to be destroyed. And uh, you need this. I need this. Uh, I've been there. And, uh, boy, if we ever needed this, it's today. Men, how not to be destroyed. Church, how not to be destroyed. America, how not to be destroyed. This could be put in any phase, but I choose to address men because I've been there and been destroyed. And God, in his marvelous grace, brought me back. And I want to speak to you Saturday We'll have a good time on how not to be destroyed. And if you can at least let us know, at least by tomorrow, try to tonight, but at least by tomorrow, we've got to let the caterer know Tuesday, as early Tuesday as possible. We're going to have some good food. We're going to have a good time Saturday. And uh, try to come, uh, if you can at all, try to come uh, Saturday. We're going to have a good time uh, there Saturday. Uh, we have some brochures uh, out in the foyer there to your left as you come in. Uh, try to pick those up uh, if, if you want to. There's a study guide out there. It looks like this. It's primarily for the church. It tells you why you ought to be concerned about recovery or a recovery fellowship. I go around the churches and I talk to churches. About why you need to get involved or why you need to be concerned about recovery fellowship. I began recovery fellowship back in January. I try to get folks to work with people. I try primarily to get churches involved and have a recovery fellowship in your church. And I can't do it all, but churches around the country can. And this tells you why you ought to be concerned about having a recovery fellowship in your church. Now, we have a meeting once a week, uh, where I attend church you can have it once a week. You can have it once every couple of weeks or whatever, uh, suits your need the most. But we meet once a week with folks and, uh, just go over their, their concerns, what they've gone through that week. And, uh, uh, what is their uh, their need that week? And we have Bible study with them and we pray with them and try to meet their need and try to encourage them uh, for, the, for the next meeting or until the next meeting. Uh, we have a study sheet. I encourage you, if you've ever uh, needed something like a recovery or if you've, uh, uh, it's a front and back, if you... Are in need or know someone Then you need to pick this up And carry it home Just leave it laying around your house Just so it will be read Front and back This is one that I encourage you to really pick up It starts off Lord I'm here uh, now what What do I do now It's just a little study sheet But it's very very important Pick one of those up Then I have a trifold brochure This is about Recovery Fellowship. Trifold has a little bit of information about me, a little bit of my testimony. It'll tell you more about me, not that I'm somebody. or important. Oh, I am too. I'm somebody God's forgiven. Amen? Amen. I'm somebody that's been there, that's walked the walk, that's uh, been in those shoes. Last week I was in uh, Rockwall County Justice and Detention Center. I like that. I like the name, Justice Justice and detention center. But I was there with the guys and uh, I looked at them, every one of them in the eye and told them, listen, I've walked in those shoes that you've got on. I've wore those colors that you're wearing. I've been there. You think, nobody knows how I feel. Yes, I do. Nobody's been where I'm at. Yes, I have. I've heard those doors slam. I've laid there Sniffled at night like the sniffles you hear at night when those bars slam. I've been there. Now, a lot of people say, preacher, nobody knows what I feel. Yeah, there is somebody that knows. Number one, Jesus knows. But I, I looked at those fellows and told them, listen, I know how you feel. Because I've been there. I know what you're going through because I've gone through it. Three of those fellows got saved Sunday morning, three of the inmates. One got saved at the hotel parking lot before we left. You see, I try to talk to people anywhere I go. I usually preach down at the lake. Uh, This summer I've preached a lot at Kentucky Down Marina. Uh, That just happens to be where I've had the opportunity to preach this summer. Jesus went down by the sea a whole lot, didn't he? Him and the disciples and wherever people would gather, that's where he'd preach. And that's what I do a whole lot. Wherever I can get folks around, I'll talk to them. Uh, So we had one saved in the hotel parking lot last Sunday. We had three saved at the Justice and Detention Center. So it was a good week. And wherever I get folks around, I'm going to talk to them. One fellow, two fellas. two fellows. Last week there at the hotel, they were drinking quite a bit and cussing quite a bit. and So I met with them about three nights last week. They were drinking and cussing and carrying on. And they said, uh, you know, they said, you remind me of Jesus. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm nothing like Jesus. They said, no, no, no. What, what we mean is uh, you hang out with sinners. And he hung out with sinners. I said, listen, Jesus don't like you drinking, but he likes the drunk. And he don't like you cussing, but he loves the cusser. And I said, I don't like you drinking, but I love the drunk. And I don't like you cussing, but I love the cusser. He said, well, that's what I mean. You you hang out. I said, I'm not going to go to the bar with you, but I'll sit out here and talk to you about the Lord. He said, preacher, that's what I mean. You like us. I said, I love you, and Jesus loves you. He just don't like what you're doing. He said, well, most people don't want to talk to us. I said, I know it. I said, I can't stand what you're doing, the way you smell, but I'll sit here and talk to you. Amen? A lot of them do it just to get rid of you. And a lot of them do it just to see how far you'll go. (laughs) But, our ministry, my ministry, deals with uh, alcoholism, deals with drugs, pornography, sexual addiction, gambling, adultery, marital problems. Why? Because I've been there. I met a fellow the other day in a church I was in. And he come through the door and he didn't recognize me. I knew he didn't. I was pastoring the church years ago down in Kentucky, and uh, the church asked me to hold my own revival. So I did, and I had biker night. I invited the bikers to come one night. I rode a bike that night, and if I'd have thought, I'd have rode the bike right in, parked it right down front. <laughs> but the bikers came in their biker attire. They had on... The leather and the do-rags and the vest with the patches, you know. There's about 30 of them that came that night. And it was a church similar to this, but it had, uh, I think it had four. had four rows of seating. And uh, the bikers, about 30 of them, rode up that night and come. And uh, they like to preach me to death. And I had one of them that came that night, and he had a, had a bar stool up there that he set up and he played the guitar and blew the harmonica all at the same time and sung. And I don't know how he could do it all, but he did. Had that thing up there and he, you know, and he could do it all. And he played a song and sung a song entitled When Jack Daniels Met John 3.16. I'm telling you, those bikers came unglued. They got to shouting and crying. And, I mean, then I preached and they just they shouted and just, man, we had a good time. But this guy that I met at a church a month or two ago, he came to church that night. He was a deacon at another Baptist church. Him and a couple of other deacons came that night just to see what was happening. They'd never heard of a biker night, and they came just to see what this preacher was doing. Well, I met him at a church a couple of months ago. He didn't recognize me. He'd come in. I knew he didn't. He shook hands with me. I said, hi, how you doing? I introduced myself. And we went into service, and they had uh, meet and greet, you know, where everybody shakes hands with one another. He remembered who I was during meet and greet. he came come all the way across that building, and he said, I know who you are. I said, good. He said, no, nah, I know who you are. I remember you. He had his claws out, you know. I said, great, I'm glad you do. And uh, he said, no, nah, I remember where you pastored. I said, awesome. Uh, meet and greet was about over, and he went and sat down. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you after service. So after service, I went over to him in the, in the vestibule, and I pulled out one of my business cards. and I said, here, I want you to have this. And he said, uh-uh, I'm not taking it. I said, oh, yes, you are. He said, no, I'm not. He said, you've done some wicked things. I said, I sure have. But I said, God's forgiven me and put me in a ministry now where I can minister to people who are where I was at. And they won't talk to people like you or to your pastor because you hadn't been there. But they'll talk to me. Now, there's no glory in that. And I'm not bragging. But I said, they'll talk to me. And he said, well, God bless you. And I said, he is, brother. Well, by the time it's over, he began to talk to me. And then uh, the next week, I seen him at a Culver's restaurant. He'd come all the way across the restaurant and said, How you doing, preacher? I got him. (laughs) I won him. I got him. Amen? He had his claws out, but after he thought about it, he found out I was right. Now listen to me. God did not ordain one thing I'd done when I got away from God, but he's taken what I've done. And He's using it for His glory only because I gave it back to Him. Amen? Amen? Now let me tell you something. When I talk to you about recovery, God's not glorified sin. Get that. God does not glorify sin. But if you'll take where you've been and give it to Him, he can use it to be a blessing to someone else. Someone said, well, you must have, have to have lived a rough life for God to use you. No, the most God, the best way for God to use you is to stay pure and stay clean and live right. But God can use you if you'll give it to him. Clean or not. Turn to Galatians Chapter five. Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter six. Now I want you to know when I talk to you about recovery, I am board certified. Okay? I'm board certified. Get the picture now. You go you can go tell everybody we heard from somebody that's board certified. Okay? Now, in Galatians chapter six, brethren, 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 we know who he's talking to, don't we? That's us. If a man An individual, a person, be overtaken, overcome, overpowered in a fault, a sin, iniquity. Ye which are spiritual, faithful let me insert there or thank you are. Amen. Ye which are faithful, restore, repair, replace, recover. Such a one. In the spirit of Meekness, kindness, gentleness, power under control. What's those next two words? Considering thyself. Why do you restore an individual? For the individual? That sounds good, doesn't it? And that's really great to restore someone for that person. And that is a good byproduct. To restore a person who has fallen into a fault, been overtaken in a fault, it's awesome to restore them for that person, but that's not why you do it. What does it say? Consider... Thyself. Why? Read those next few words. Lest thou self also be tempted. <laughs> A preacher, I would never do that, really. Really? You wouldn't? You don't think so? You don't think you would ever do what that person done? Preacher, I would never do what that drunk done. Really? I'd never do what that druggie done. Really? I'd never do what that adulterer done. Really? You don't know what you might do if you got low enough. You ain't not hit bottom yet. Be careful how you look down your nose at someone. You don't know what you do when you hit bottom. Listen, when I pastored in Michigan in the early 80's, I was the hardest man you ever heard about alcohol. And when I left the ministry after 23 years... What was the first thing I done? Went headlong into alcoholism. Thirteen years. Brother Stone, thirteen years. God put me on a shelf, and I put myself on a shelf. Thirteen years after the ministry. I'd never do that. You better be careful what you say you wouldn't do. You don't know what you won't do. When the devil takes you and you walk headlong into sin, you don't know what you won't do. My kids would never do that. You done raising them yet? You done raising your grandkids yet? You better be careful. (laughs) You restore such a one considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Boy, I found out it's just better watch what you say watch how you point at someone church better be careful how you look at someone and talk about someone bear ye one another's burdens And so fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Go to that young girl who's pregnant without being married and help her bear that burden. Go to that young man who's addicted on drugs and help him bear that burden. Go to that man or woman who's been taken by the monster of alcohol. And it's a monster. Listen to me. Alcohol is a deadly monster. Help them bear that load. Go to that person who's being swallowed by pornography or sexual addiction and help them bear the uh, up under that load. Do you realize that when a person looks at pornography or is taken by sexual addiction, there's chemicals released in their brain that gives them a high, much like morphine or much like heroin. And it's a high to them. And they've got to have it. And pictures don't satisfy after a while. Who was that fellow in Florida that they finally executed that was on death row that had killed so many people? What was his name? Who? Bundy. Bundy. They interviewed him. And he said the majority of people on death row for sexual crimes began in pornography, looking at pictures. Then pictures didn't satisfy. And then they had to look at movies. Then movies didn't satisfy. And then they got hooked on hookers. Then hookers didn't satisfy. And then they had to mutilate. Then mutilation didn't satisfy. And then they had to kill. You see, it's the chemical that has to be more and more and more and more. Much like the marijuana is a beginner and then the, the weed doesn't satisfy and then it takes a little more and then it takes a little more and then it takes a little more and then it takes a little more. more. Bear ye one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear their burden. Bear their burden. Help carry their load, you see. What did he say? For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Well, I I would never. You're in delusion. You are in deception, self-deceived, the worst kind of deception there is. Well, mine never would. Oh, really? You don't know what yours to do or maybe be doing. You might be amazed if you really knew. Listen, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to understand what some people do. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and why they do it. Paul told the young preacher in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, when I got a hold of this, I began to understand some things. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 24, He said, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Out to teach, patient, in meekness. What was that meekness? Kindness, gentleness, power under control. Now, he already said that we're to be gentle unto all men. Boy, I would like to beat the tar out of. I really would. Some of me would like to just beat the snot out of them. Amen? But I can't. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. The person who is destroying themselves with the alcohol, the person who is destroying themselves with the drugs, the person who is destroying themselves with the sex, the person who is destroying themselves with the gambling, the person who is destroying themselves with all of these things are opposing themselves. Do you see that? They are opposing themselves. They don't realize that. That doesn't come easy to realize that. That's something that has to be learned. It doesn't come overnight. In meekness, instructing. That's teaching those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, perhaps, will give them repentance, and he will, to the acknowledging of the truth. Now get this. They must acknowledge the truth. What did Jesus say in John? Ye shall know the and the truth shall set you free. Now let me, let me let you in on a great theological insight here. The key to any problem, I don't care if it's a marital problem, an alcohol problem, a drug problem, a sexual problem any problem in this church is one word guess what it is somebody said it truth truth Truth. if you'll admit the truth you've got the answer to any problem ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you'll first admit the truth to Jesus, then you'll admit the truth to yourself. You've got the answer to any problem in your life. Be it marital, be it alcohol, be it drugs, be it sexual, be it gambling, be it whatever problem you got, if you admit the truth, you've got it licked. You'll come to the truth. 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 You've got it licked. Pastor, any problem you've ever faced with anybody, truth is the answer, isn't it? Truth. I had a pastor of the First Baptist Church in my hometown. One of the pastors, we were walking down the aisle of the one of the nursing homes, and he said, Preacher, what are you using to help people with pornography and sexual problems? I said, we get them to fall in love with God and saturate them with the Word of God. He said, it won't work. It's not sufficient. And man, I stopped in my tracks. I said, what? He said, it will not work, it's not sufficient. I said, what do you mean? It worked for me. He said, well, they've got to watch a five-hour video that I have, one hour at a time. And listen, Mama raised a couple of polite boys and uh, nice boys. And I don't do this, but I found myself doing this before I realized it. While he was talking, I walked away from him. And I don't do that, but I did. And I haven't apologized to him. I should, I guess, but I haven't. I believe you get people saturated in the word of God that God's the answer and the word of God has the answer. I believe that. And you get folks falling in love with God saturated in the Word of God the answers right there the truth will set them free I just got a text last week from the lady that's printing my material and I have a little thing I call jewels from John that I've put together volume 1 is printed and so it'll be out by the time I get back home and uh, it's, the, I think, the first five or seven chapters. And then I'm going to print volume two and volume three. Just a simple little study guy. Because I believe if you get a person to read in the book of John, if they're not saved, they're going to get saved. And if they're saved, they're just going to get reassured of, of their salvation and fall in love with Jesus. And I tell people, I say, read the gospel of John. What I do when I get done, I say, read the Gospel of John. What I do then, I say, read it again with a pen and paper. And whatever speaks to you, write it down. See, I I believe in getting folks to fall in love with the Word of God. And it has the answer. He said, instructing those that oppose themselves. Then look at verse 26. That they may recover themselves. Folks have to recover themselves. Now listen, God could come down and folks could be recovered. He could do the bewitch. Wiggle his nose if he wanted to, but it don't work that way. You must recover yourself. Could God recover you? Sure. But it don't work that way. He will recover you when you recover yourself. Now, I'm talking about those who are involved in addictions. I'm talking about those who have been overcome by chemical means. I'm talking about those who have overcome by uh, mental means of pornography, sexual sins, gambling, things such as that. You must recover. Look at what he said. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. You've got to make an effort, friend. You've got to make an effort. God's not going to come down and smack you upside the head. He could if he wanted to, but he doesn't work that way. Who are taken captive by him at his will. Do you realize that a lot of these folks are taken captive by the devil at his will? They're taken captive by him at his will. So they've got to recover themselves. All oh, people pray, Lord, deliver me from this alcohol. Deliver me from this alcohol. Give me another chance. Deliver me. He's not going to do it. It doesn't work that way. Deliver me from this weed. Give me. Lord, deliver me, please. It, man, that's good stuff. It don't work that way. Amen. You've got to recover yourself. you got to change your people, places, and things. You can't keep hanging out in the same places with the same people. You keep hanging around the barber shop long enough you're gonna get a haircut. Ain't that right there, brother? That's right. See, me and him don't worry about it. We're good stewards of the manifold blessings of God. We don't spend money on shampoo and hairspray and mousse and they even use that stuff anymore. Jail. We don't spend God's 90% on that stuff. Amen? Amen? Listen. Turn over to... I'm going to skip some of this. Turn over to Psalm 38. I want you to see something about these people that we minister with because I've been there and I want you to feel David a minute. I want you to feel David. Psalm 38. Psalm 38. I want you to feel David. David says, Oh Lord, I used to preach from Psalm when I pastored. But now I feel David. I was down here in Baytown years ago on a truck during my 13 years of being away from God coffee in the morning. And... uh I'm not making fun. This is just the way the guy talked. He was a black gentleman. I was filling up my thermos one evening at Baytown. a truck stop, spending the night. <coughs> and this black gentleman come over to me. And he said, excuse me, sir. And I said, yes, sir. He said, you is a man of God. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you is a man of God. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Never seen this guy before in my life. He said, no, sir, I hear a man of God talking over here. I said, sir, you're badly mistaken. I'm a truck driver. He said, no, sir, I done told my wife I hear the voice of a man of God. I said, sir, I'm getting me a thermos of coffee. Leave me alone. I think that's about the third time, wasn't it? He walked away from me. I filled up my thermos and I went to my truck. And I crawled up my sleeper and I said, "God, look here. I'm a truck driver. I'm not a preacher anymore. Leave me alone." One of the best things and one of the worst things God can do for you is give you what you want, and He did. He left me alone for a while, and I was empty no word from God, no nudging, no nothing. So I roamed the country. I stayed out west a lot. I stayed out in Utah, and I stayed out in Arizona, California. Empty, Brother Stone, just empty. And I didn't like that. I was just empty. And Then I began to feel what David felt. I began to feel the the hurting in my bones. I felt what David felt when he said, God, I'm sore in my bones. And now when I read the book of Psalms and David said, Oh, Lord, I say, Oh, David, I know. I know, because I'd be out in that desert. And I'd say, Oh, God, hear me again. You know what he said? I hear you, son. I'm here. you told me to leave you alone, but I'm here. That's all it took. Now listen to David. Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrow stick fast in me. Thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. David felt like God was so angry with him that there was no soundness left in his flesh. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Have you ever felt like your sin was so, so deep within you that there was not any rest in your bones? My iniquities are gone over my head. As a, as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. I picture David, the sins so heavy upon him. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled. Watch this. I am bowed down greatly. David's sin was so heavy. He was bowing. It was so heavy upon him. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. And there is no soundness anywhere in my flesh. I'm feeble. Sore broken. I've roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desires before thee and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth. My strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. Listen to this. My lovers and my friends Stand aloft from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. Listen to what he said. My lovers and my friends, they stand aloft from my sore and my kinsmen. They stand afar off. Church. Don't let someone get so caught up in sin that you, as a friend, stand afar off from them. Get the picture? Don't let them get so caught up that you seem afar away from them. Get the picture? David said, my lovers and my friends, they stand aloft from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. David felt like even those close to him wouldn't have nothing to do with him anymore. There's some people like that out there. When God called me into recovery fellowship ministry, I was at a Burger King one Wednesday night about to go to church and I got a text from a man I hadn't heard from in years and all the text said was help pray. And right after that, my phone rung from his brother up in Carpentersville, Algonquin. Algonquin, Illinois. And I hadn't heard from him in a long time. And I, I answered the phone and he said, Brother McWhorter, this is no accident. He said, I didn't really mean to call you but I hit your, hit your name and I didn't mean to but this is a God thing. I need to talk to you. And I said, I need to talk to you. I just got a text that said, help, pray. The conversation went on. He said, would you go to this individual? I said, I will. I waited a few weeks. It was winter, and I waited a few weeks. I drove down to Tennessee, and I knocked on this man's door. He came to the door, and he opened the door, and he saw it was me, and he said, oh, you, and he slammed the door. I didn't keep knocking, I just stood there. He finally opened the door and he said, come on in. He went into the kitchen and he said, come on in. He opened the refrigerator and freezer and he said, take a look. I didn't get it. I thought he was showing me there wasn't a lot of food there. Then he opened up every cabinet and he said, take a look. I still didn't get it. I thought he showing me there wasn't much food there. He said, you go back and you tell him and you tell everybody else, there's no liquor in my house. I said, I didn't come to check, see if there's any liquor in your house. Get your tail in the living room, sit down. I come to see you. I want to talk to you. He cussed me a little bit, and then finally he calmed down. We talked for a couple of hours. He lost his wife. He lost everything he had. He was an accomplished musician. He was an accomplished salesman. I mean, accomplished musician. He'd opened for many acts in Nashville. And now his hands like this, he can't uh, make music anymore. He's messed himself up physically due to alcohol, many wrecks and falls and all this stuff. And A mess. And I left there and I said, God, somebody's got to love those people. Somebody's got to love those people. And... uh, I prayed, And every time I'd pray, I'd say, God, somebody's got to love those people. And it was if God was saying, I know, I know. And then I'd, I'd meet somebody and they'd be on drugs. And I'd say, God, somebody's got to love them. He'd go, <laughs> I know. Don't start praying about something unless you're ready to do something about it now. So I began recovery fellowship, and I started loving people and caring for them. I have, right now, I have Zach and Camille, three and a half years alcohol and cocaine free, and I love them to death. They're in our study every week, and they're such a blessing to me. And this man that I was telling you about, he went to rehab, and just—he's uh, out now, but I don't think it's good. He won't communicate with me. And that's usually not a good sign. But somebody's got to care. Church, there's a lot of failure in it, but somebody's still got to care for them. That church member quits coming, find out why. Find out why before they quit coming. That young girl that gets pregnant, you don't have to find out why. I mean, (laughs) duh. Hey, it's already happened, Dad. No need to shame her more. Love her. Church, it's already happened. You can't undo it. Love her. that boy or girl that's gotten involved in drugs and alcohol love them try to help them find a place for them saturate them with the word of god say it's too late it's never too late there were some preachers said it was too late for me And I pastored with them for 23 years. Not one of them came to me. Not one of them came to me. It's never too late. Church, somebody's got to care. Somebody's got to keep going to them. Somebody's got to keep loving them. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, preacher, I thought it's too late for me. You're here, aren't you? Maybe you're here tonight and you've got a loved one. You say, preacher, I just don't know. I know somebody does. And you're here concerned about it. I tell you, the hardest thing to do, but it's the easiest thing to do once you do it, but it's so hard right now. And I've had to do it. I've had to say, Lord... That's it. I've done all I know to do. They're yours. And mean it. I've had to do it. I've had to say, Lord, there it is. Or there they are. And I'll leave it with him. Listen, I've had God do more for me this year than I've ever seen in my life. I turned 60 about two weeks ago. I know I don't look like it. That could go either way. Okay? I've had God do more for me this year than I've ever seen. I've just got to where I don't pray anymore. God, help me do this. God, help me do that. I just pray and say, God, there it Now is. I'm here, but God, here it is. Then he tells me what he wants me to do. Just give it to God. That sounds easy, doesn't it, for me to say. But you got to come to the place to say, God, here it is. It's yours. And that's what you got to do. Pastor comes tonight. Music, uh, song director comes tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, preacher, it's too late. No, it's not. You're here. Pastor's here. Church is here. God's here. You come tonight. Whatever your need might be, you come tonight. As we stand, musicians come, song director comes. Maybe you have someone tonight that you need to just say, God, here they are. I've done all I know to do. Here they are. Whatever your need is, you come. What number are we going to sing? (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
0: order over the years I've quoted a lot of different people and uh, as far as I know, I can remember ever quoting Martin Luther're we're not we're not Protestants, we're Baptist and they hated us just like the Catholics did and uh, except for one exception, and I, here in my Bible, I have one quote, the only quote that I, of his I ever use. In fact, I think it was written by him as a, as a song. And it uh, doesn't make any difference who said this. It's, the, it's what he said that matters. Brother McWhorter was talking about the truth setting us free. So many times we think, well, we've got to, you know, we've, we, we've got to have this kind of a program and that kind of a program. And Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 says, He hath given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And he tells us that it's, it's the word. His word is sufficient. You don't need to add anything to it. It does the job. But th- This is what Martin Luther wrote. And though this wicked world with devil's fill should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. There's power in this old book I hold in my hand it's a living book Christ himself shows us how to deal with temptation when Satan comes in on three occasions there three times in a row he tempts the Lord and every time he met the devil by quoting the Word of God it it has power beyond anything you and I can imagine you know, we, um, we think about this man's ministry there. And, uh, and so many times, you know, we think to ourselves, my, it's so wonderful that somebody there is doing something to help those poor people. And as you've heard me say so many times, whenever I got saved, I started preaching uh, uh, as soon as I surrendered to preach. I mean, I, I started preaching before I learned how to tie a tie. I didn't know how to tie my tie yet. I had an old red-headed deacon there that uh, he had to show me how to tie a wind or not. He said, "Look, man, said, you're going to come to church. You got to, you know, going to wear a tie. You got to know how to tie." Because I just wrap it around and twist it, a time or two. I, I looked like a drunk, and I'd been a drunk. That's what I was, and so uh, they they figured out pretty quick. We're not going to stop this guy. He's 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 going. To, he, he's going to preach uh, regardless whether we think he ought to or not. And really, we had one preacher in the church that said, uh, you know, uh, they said, "Well, I think we ought to ordain a deacon." I think they thought that'll sidetrack him, you know, that'll that get him stopped for a while. And the, the one old Charlie Miller said, "No, not me." He Said, "I'm not. I'm not for ordaining him." No, forget that, you know. Uh, he did not know enough yet. Why well, I didn't I, I? He was really right. Somebody said, uh, said, you know, there's a rescue mission down on Main Street, and they all time needing preachers down there. Moved here. Joe Boyd, Cindy's husband, Joe Boyd, was a little boy back there working in that rescue mission. I had no idea. I didn't know him back then at all. Moved here, met them, and uh, his daddy was running that rescue mission back there. My, that's been a long time ago. And uh, I got the shock of my life. Because all of a sudden I began to realize a lot of those guys had been doctors and lawyers and successful businessmen and alcohol had brought them down to absolutely nothing. And there they were on Skid Row living, I mean, in the gutters. And and it's really easy to just write them off. Uh, I can't help but think about last Sunday night, what occurred here. And, you know, I I don't know that young man. He said he knows me. He said he delivered my pizza. He even knew that I, uh, it's always pepperoni, no sauce pepperoni. He's right. I guess he knows me. I don't know. But it was obvious he he had, he's got some serious problems. Look, there's people like that all around us, everywhere. And a lot of them, listen, a lot of them are not like that, you know. But a lot of them, you, you, you don't even know about because they cover it up. But they need help just as much as that young man needed help. So you, uh, let God use you. You said, well, I'm not an ordained minister. I'm not trained in counseling. I, or, any, Listen, if you're born again and knowledgeable of God's word, God can use you to help somebody. I remember the first church I pastored, we had a fellow that was trying to stop drinking. And I, I can remember he was living in a little old shack just right down the street there on Main Street. I don't know what the name of it was, but it was the main drag in town. People talk about we some towns you know have one stoplight. We didn't have a stoplight in that town; just a crossroads, just a little old town, two hundred and two hundred and eight or eleven uh, population in the town. And he said, "Preacher, will you help me?" Well, I didn't know what to do, and so you know, I prayed with him, read the scriptures with him, and uh, but I can remember one night that he got the DTS and he was shaking. I, I'm telling you what I, uh, I you. I'd been around a lot of drunks, but I'd never seen anyone in this bad a condition, and it was horrible. And I remember I sat up that night with him down there at his house. I I couldn't do, really do anything other than be there with him and just read the scriptures and pray with him. And uh, you know, I, I I wish I could look back and say, yeah, that guy you know got saved and now he's pastoring the biggest church in Texas or something. Like. I don't know what happened to that guy. Uh, but I know there are people all around us needing our help, and uh, so let God use you and pray for this man and the ministry back there uh, in Murray, Kentucky. Uh, so many times we think about the bluegrass state and all how beautiful it is, and all of those wonderful country people. Boy, it is—it's a great place, man. It's one—it's one of the, got one of the most biggest drug problems of anywhere. Uh, the meth heads, it, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, so pray for them. It's not an easy ministry. Thank you, Brother McWhorter, for being here. And and uh, he'll be out there with his literature. I hope you'll get that. I hope you'll be mindful to pray for him. If Brother Kenneth and I can be of help uh, to you, let us know. If Brother McWhorter, knowing him, I'm sure that he'd love to talk with you. If you're here tonight... And you've got a problem, it might be you don't want to talk to Brother Kenneth or myself, either one, about it. And uh, just ask, ask him, say, hey, Brother, would, would, could I talk to you a little bit? You, you know, you don't want everybody to know about it. And you talk to him and everybody won't know about it. Maybe he can say something, do something to help you and point you in the right direction where you can get help somewhere. Thank you again so much for being here. Let's bow our heads together as we go to the Lord in prayer tonight and dismiss the service. What? Oh, oh yeah. I'd about to send this man packing without any gas money. Yeah, we're going to... I made out a check while ago, but I f- forgot to... Yeah, <laughs> that certified board. The ushers come right ahead. Man, these guys are on the ball. They're doing a good job when they won't, you know... Listen, if you're making out a check, make it out to Lakeway Baptist Church. Brother Ron to see that he gets every penny of it, but make it out to the church, please. <laughs> if the ushers miss you and you just, you're desperate to give that... <laughs> That great big offering. Wave them down. Throw a rock at them or something. They're there to help. <laughs> well, it's been a good day, and we're so glad uh, for each and every one of you being here tonight. You know, we've had so many guests here lately, and it's really difficult getting to know people. It's you know, it's hard enough. I. I've got, I don't know how many three but five cards in my pocket, and I'll start one and fill it up, and I I got names here of different people. Some of them used to come three or four years ago, you know, they don't come anymore, but it's really difficult. What I'm trying to say is, you've got to make an effort if you want to get to know the people and become familiar with the church, Uh, so the Bible says if you're going to have friends, you have to... Show yourself friendly, and so make an effort, and you see someone you don't know, don't let them leave the building without going up, shaking their hand, letting them know how good it is to have them here tonight. Let's all stand together, and we're going to be dismissed by prayer. Mike Smith, would you word our prayer, sir? Father, we go out and
1: we talk to someone, Father, uh, to Father we to help we to Father, you can for ourselves. Father, you continue to pray out and pour out your blessings. Father,